Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. So, you'd like to believe in God, but sometimes the Bible just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. For example, why did the resurrected Jesus ask Peter the same question three times in a row? Three times! He asks Peter if he loves him. Three times Peter says, yes. Did Jesus not hear him the first time? And why does Jesus suddenly start predicting Peter's death in this very same conversation? That seems rather out of context to their discussion of love, unless Jesus was maybe getting ticked at Peter, thus offering a dire prophecy to teach him a lesson. Well, my friend, you're asking an excellent question. The passage in question can be found in John 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify him. Then he said to him, follow me. I was reading from the New International Version. The background is that after Christ had been arrested, Peter publicly denied him three times. This is something he never would have imagined himself doing. After all, he'd followed Jesus around for years, believing with all his heart that Jesus was the promised Messiah of his people, a warrior king who would deliver the Jews from the tyranny of the Romans. Peter had also gone out of his way to tell Jesus that he would remain loyal even if everyone else forsook him. But when Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, Peter was quite confused. So were all the other disciples, but... Peter, we know, was very confused, and the whole situation got exasperated when his moment of truth arrived, asked if he was one of Jesus' friends while he knew that Jesus was facing the tribunals. Peter's courage failed him. What a difference a few days make. Now Jesus has risen from the dead, and he wants to talk to Peter. Can you just imagine how poor Peter must have felt? This was worse than some kid being dragged into the principal's office. Now, he'd already met and interacted with the resurrected Jesus, so had the other disciples, but they had not yet discussed the big elephant in the room, Peter's denials. So here we are at the end of John. We're reading this. Readers are dripping with anticipation as they devour this narrative, only to find a somewhat confusing and somewhat repetitive conversation between Jesus and Peter. The problem is with our English translations. Much more is going on here than we realize, and an exploration into the original Greek provides a very interesting spotlight to an otherwise bland-looking dialogue. Many of us are conditioned to thinking of foreign language studies as a boring endeavor. 
reserved only for intellectuals who have nothing better to do with their time. The most commonly shared experience is that of taking a language class to satisfy some kind of general ed requirement in school. We recall sitting in classrooms, anxiously glancing at our watches, while some enthusiastic instructor talks about nouns, participles, and present tenses, looking far more enthusiastic than anyone else in the room that has to listen to him. Yes, foreign language gets a bad rap. Be that as it may, the subject is unavoidable. After all, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, although we have many excellent translations into English, certain words do not maintain their original flavor after crossing the border, no matter how well they were translated. This means that we have to not only translate the words, we have to study exactly what those words would have meant to their original Greek-speaking audience. This conversation between Jesus and Peter offers a glaring example. The most recurring word is love. It is repeated often in just a matter of minutes, making Jesus come across either as a man who has a hearing problem or one who delights in redundancy. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. All right, well, just... In case you didn't hear me the first two times, let me ask you just once more. Do you love me? Yes! Now that's the way it comes across in English, but the Greek text offers something substantially different. In English, we have one word for love. It's called love. I bet you knew that one already. In Greek, there are many words for love. There's the word eros, referring to romantic or sexual love. This is where we get the word erotic from. There's storge, the kind of love one has for his family. There's phileia, which means the kind of love one has for a friend. Philadelphia here in America was considered the city of brotherly love. But the most important word for love in the New Testament is agape. This word can include emotion, but the emphasis is more on action, and it was often used for sacrificial action, depending on the context. In other words, loving a person enough to lay down your life and die for them. This is the same word used of God in John 3.16, where the gospel writer talks about God loving the entire world enough to send his only son to die for us. And of course, as we've talked about on other shows, and we'll continue to explore, this son is really God himself incarnate. So it's saying God loved us so much that he himself chose to die for us. Very fitting usage of the word agape. When Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, he is using a form of the word agape. Peter responds with phileo, a form of the word phileia. Understanding these two different words makes all the difference in the world. Peter, do you love me enough to lay down your life and die for me? Well, everyone standing there, especially Peter, already knew the answer to that question. When given an opportunity to die for his friend, Peter had wimped out. Peter responds like a politician dodging a Sunday morning news show question. Lord, you know I phileo you. I've always had a strong affection for you as a friend. So Jesus repeats the question. Peter, do you agapes, the form of the word agape? Do you agape me? Do you love me enough to lay down your life for me? Peter gives the same answer. Lord, you know I phileo you. You're great. You're the best. Now catch this. Here's where it gets really interesting. The third time, Jesus changes the word. Peter, do you phileus me? Do you at least have a strong affection 
for me? Peter sadly agrees. Yes, Lord, I have an affection for you as a friend, and that is all I am able to do. I must confess that I do not love you enough to lay down my life for you. And then Jesus comforts him by saying, well, don't worry about it. Someday you will die for me. You see, all at once, Jesus' prediction of Peter's death makes perfect sense because we now have a better understanding of the context. Peter felt horrible about his cowardice. He had sworn that he would never forsake Jesus, but when push came to shove, he did not measure up. By telling Peter that someday he will indeed be a martyr, Jesus is giving Peter the best news he can possibly hear. In the book of Acts, we see a completely different Peter, defending his Christian convictions under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When Peter and John were threatened by the governing authorities and warned to stop preaching the gospel, they replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Acts chapter 4. Years later, Peter was executed under the vicious emperor Nero. Church tradition tells us that when they were about to crucify him, he insisted on being crucified upside down because it was too much of an honor to be crucified right side up like his Lord. All of this was anticipated by Jesus as he restored Peter to fellowship. The flavor of the conversation accentuates itself with just a little bit of grief. And so, as you can see, occasionally, once in a while at least, language studies are not nearly as boring as we thought. This is Bob Siegel, making the obvious obvious.